0: to see you this morning. Would you stand with me lest we go to the Word of God this morning? Jill, return to your seat. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble right out of the gate, right? Amen. Everybody happy and Good. Uh, today uh, we're going to look at one verse, and then we'll go from there. Genesis one, verse thirty-one. Um, last week we, we uh, focused on the uh, really, uh, we, the, really the past two Sundays. We've talked about the image of God. How you know, if our image of God of who He is, how He is, what He is, the triune God. If that's wrong, then that's the foundation that we that we're building on. Because how we view God affects everything that we do, everything we believe, how we conduct our lives, how we treat others, how we view ourselves. Uh, today I'm staying in that same stream, I guess you could say, and I want to, we're just entitled this Original Goodness Outshines Original Sin. Uh, the word original sin is not in the scripture, of course the two phrase original goodness is not in there like that, but the goodness of God is. Some people think the Bible starts in Genesis chapter 3. And you can tell that by the way that they believe in what they launch their spiritual life from. Here in Genesis, the first chapter, five times, God says during his creation that it is good. He would create creation, and that's everything besides us. That's the birds. That's the tree. I want you to get this today, because you don't really hear. I sure was not raised to even view creation as sacred. I don't mean we worship trees. We're not worshiping rocks and stuff like that. But we do see God in that, and that's what the Scripture says. Uh, Romans one says that the 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 things of God that He has made, the the the. the the glory of God has been clearly, it says, seen in what he has made. And if you miss that, you miss revelation. God says, whether you had a Bible or not, I mean, we made it until 1700 years into the 17th century, really, before we ever even got a canonized scripture. We, we didn't even have a Bible. How did how people make it for all them centuries? Didn't even have a scripture. And, and, and even when there was scripture, most of the common people didn't have it. And if they did have it, they couldn't, they couldn't read it. It was written in Latin and in different, these, uh, different languages. That way the clergy had good job security. I mean, was, if you're the only one that can read the Bible, then you got job security. Then the folks that want to hear it's got to come listen to you. Amen? Amen? But God didn't just start speaking when he wrote a book. Right? And so we talked about last Sunday how the, the classic, wonderful John 3.16, but it literally says... For God so loved the cosmos. Translated world into our new King James Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him. You don't have to perish. But you have life. And not only life. Jesus went on to tell us in John 10.10. But life everlasting. Abundant life. And that's the kind of life that God doles out. And whose life is he doling? His. His life. Uh, And so... Five times God says everything he had made in all creation, this is before man, was good. And then God makes man in his image, in his likeness. That includes you. I'm so glad that they chose the song. We don't ever get together on the songs, but but they were wonderful. Because it kept emphasizing that we are children of God. And most people, as Pastor Johanna got up here and tried to to exhort us in that, man, they just don't know. Uh, They just don't know. We, you know, we, we, And I was raised on that. You, you try to go to these nations. Uh, I went to Zona Maya to the Mayan Indians one time many years ago. And, and, and my mindset at that time was I went down there to try to make children of God. What I should have been doing is going down there to reveal to them that they already were children of God. They just didn't know it. And that sounds strange. It almost sounds like heresy. Because we see salvation... More as a transactional something that we do instead of transformative revelation that we receive. Amen? And of course, the thing I always quote to you Paul, this great apostle, wrote most of the New Testament epistles, said in Galatians that when it pleased the Lord who separated me from my mother's womb to reveal Christ in me, in me. Paul, standing on Mars Hill in Athens, and he just said that this whole area was given over to idols and idolatry. And those people historically were worshiping Zeus as God and had erected a statue to the un- unknown God. And in Acts 17, Paul said, I noticed that all you guys are very religious. How many of you know that you can be religious and not know God? He said, You are very religious, and I saw a statue, a monument that you have to the unknown God. And you worship him, not knowing even who he is. But to him I have come to declare to you. And he said, And then he made this amazing statement. He's, and he's talking to these people. Keep, keep the context. He says, For we are all, we are, we are the offspring of God. We are the offspring of God. And. Uh, you say, well, they're a bunch of heathens. They're not, they're not God's. They just didn't know it. And they're praying to a God that don't even exist. How many knows that Zeus ain't real? But he's real in some people's minds. That's how they view God. They think God's throwing down lightning bolts to get them. You know, that he's punitive. He's vindictive. He's punishing. He's all those things. That's not, you know, that's Zeus. That's not God. You know, Latin for Zeus is deus. And Latin for God is deus. Same word. And in some people's mind, there's no difference. Right? Boy, y'all quiet this morning. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church of Valosta. We're glad you're here. Don't send me nothing from the Presbyterians. I love you. Amen. So he says here, Then God said, and saw everything that he had made, and it was indeed what? How good, though? very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So this is how we started off. This is how creation places us in the goodness of God. God saw everything that he made, which included you. And, and God says that all of creation is good. And when he made humanity, he said, that's very good. Now I want you to look over at somebody, turn around, face them and say, you're very good. Tell <laughs> you're very good. <laughs> All right, you can be seated. See, that was worth the drive here. So I tell you, you're very good. I, uh, th- this original uh, sin teaching. It started off uh, us off on the wrong foot, and that's why that we have to because what we believe affects everything that we do. And it started us off with a no instead of a yes. What I said is some people, they jump slam to Genesis 3, where we have man sinning and, uh, you know, the serpent in the garden and and all of that. And they act like that's where the Bible starts. And, uh, and, and, And if you start from there, you're starting with a problem. And most of the time, when you start a human off with a problem, they never get very far from that problem. That's the that's the mentality. That's their foundation, and and we've spent in the church world we've spent centuries trying to, to to solve the problem that we were told that we had, and that was with our humanity, and a lot of us that have been trained in theology and systematic theology and these things that that we're taught in those courses were taught, and I was taught that man's that that God's primary position towards humanity. Um was enmity. In other words, that, 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 that God saw us and viewed us as an enemy, as, as somebody sinful that he couldn't even look at. And that is totally unscriptural. And when Paul comes along, he says, you were enemies in your own mind, but yet I've reconciled you. You, you, you know, man is the one. It's just like when Adam and Eve sinned, of course, uh, they hid from God, but God didn't hide from them. God didn't refuse to come. God still come. And they're the ones that changed, not, not God. And so sin, uh, we, we, we view it uh, in, in, a, in a wrong way. Uh, sin is not primarily uh, that thing that is true about you, about who we are. Uh, before we were anything else, now you listen to me, we are made in God's image. And, and we are made to reflect that image in how we live our lives. And before, listen, before scripture tells us anything uh, about ourselves, it tells us that we're good and what God has created is good. And and I think that's because that's what God wanted you to hear. That's what God wanted you to know, that that's your foundation and when we ground ourselves in the fact that God created us and God called us very good, then what that does, that makes you capable of confronting all the opposites and all the paradoxes and all the things that, that seemingly don't fit together with the reality of what that experience is supposed to be in our lives. In other words, how many of you, when you, you came to the revelation of Christ in you, you know, you call it salvation, whatever you want to call it, but when, when that happened, you're like, Lord, you know, I mean, there's that, that, a real change that happens in you. In your heart, and how you believe. And, 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 but then you, you, you come to that radical awakening that you find yourself still sinning. Anybody besides me, what, did that hit you pretty strong? Wait a minute, I thought I got saved. I thought I trusted in Jesus. And what am I doing, uh, doing this? And then you see a contradiction in your own self. That's why a lot of people in the, in the religious world I was raised up in, I mean, we'd have, I, I'm not making this stuff up, man. We'd have revivals run five, six weeks in my home church where I was raised as a young boy. And they would report 50, 40, 60 saved during those weeks of revival. And I'm telling you the truth, and I'm talking about over uh, more than a decade of watching this. You come back six weeks after that revival, you couldn't find one of them. Ain't none of them in church. What happened? They went home and they got confronted with the stark reality that, hey, I'm not perfect. This, or, or they go, it didn't work. And they don't know how to live in, the, in, in paradoxes. They don't know how to live uh, in, in, in this, you know, belief that, wait, wait a minute, now I thought it was, you know, and it doesn't make sense to them. But when you can grasp the reality that, that even though you, you've put in your faith and trust in Jesus and, and you don't have it all together, and if you can see that in yourself and admit that and still continue on, then you have to know that that same deal is in other people. And you have to have mercy when you look at them. Now, any spiritual teacher worth his salt will at least contain this. I don't care what kind of spiritual teacher, okay? But they will. this, this would be a paramount thing to teach people, disciples, is do not judge. And when I say don't judge, and when Jesus says don't judge, and he's over and over said, do not judge, what he's talking about is you, you and I do not have the right to judge who's in and who's out. Who's accepted, who's because that, there, there's no truth in any of that. That's that dualistic thinking that it's got to be either or. And that's why God comes and, and reveals himself as a triune God, and your brain can't contemplate three. It wants the choice of one or two. And here God comes as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet these three are one. And that makes your brain start off frying like the commercial. Here's your brain, and here's a drop of egg on the frying pan. And here's your brain. This is your brain, and this is it on God. And I told you, we, as teachers and preachers, we approach God like blind men coming up and feeling the elephant. And you feel one part, and you go to preaching that part that you, the revelation that you have, but that's not the, that's not the whole picture. And I told you in Exodus 3, that's why when Moses got brave enough before his mission to set the Hebrews free from Egyptian bondage and said, God, who do I tell them, you're, what's your name? It was really God saying, I'm not going to tell you my name. If I, if I give you a precise, precise name of who I am, you're going to think you've got me in your pocket. You're going to think you understand who I am and what I am. God said, just tell them I am the I am. And that's okay when it comes to God, but I want to tell you that that's your father, that's your created, uh, and you're created in his image and likeness, and you need to take ownership of that same thing and trying to figure out who you are. I, I had to hike across the country to find myself. Well, that's a lot of gas wasted. You am what you am. Well, what am I, Brother Dale? You're created in the image and likeness of God, and you draw your dignity, worth, and value from him. And that's your true self. Your false self is all this other stuff that we try to prop up and we think we're known for the size car, the size house, the amount of money, the skin color, all these things. And, and those things, doesn't. that's not who you are. Who you are is, is you're, you're what they sung about. You are a child of God. And so you start from that. You live from that. If you can't take it with you in the casket, it ain't your true self. Hello, like they said, you ain't never seen no hearse with a trailer hitch hauling a U-haul behind it headed to the cemetery. You're not gonna take it with you because that's not your true self. So what I'm saying is, that it's not that those things are evil and wrong, and we need a lot of those things. But just the point is, don't give you life for that. So it's hard to climb out of a hole of. You know, we you know where did all this wrong teaching uh, uh, come from? Well, Augustine, if you study history, uh, he he's the one that, that started us off on this this wrong descent. And uh, he, he he said that 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 you know you, you know you're not good. You, you know Adam and Eve were good, but you're not good. And then we we, we get Martin Luther, who was a great reformer. And in 95 theses, he nailed to the wall of that monastery, and he did great and wonderful things. But he also had some issues, and he didn't understand everything, just because he was a great reformer. And one of the things that he did, he didn't do us any favor when he come along and wrote and declared that we're nothing more humanity than a pile of snow-covered dung. That's his words. He said, you're snow-covered dung. And, and, and he's trying to wrestle with that paradox that I'm talking about. Well, I thought we'd been, you know, our sins were white, white as snow. And yet we see problems and we see, we see darkness and we see evil. And, and how do we deal with all this together? Uh, some people call it living in the shadow of darkness. And I don't get all, you know, I got scientific enough with you last week. But listen, if there wasn't darkness in this room, we couldn't even see each other. scientifically. In other words, if it wasn't, but if it's 100% pure light, we would be, we would be blind. We would not be able to see. It'd be like standing in the middle of the sun. We can't even take a glimpse at the sun from the earth and look at it without our vision failing us. Don't go home and do that. It's pretty cloudy anyway. I think you'd be out today. But, but you understand the bright, if it was pure light, and that always makes me think when we stand, but when we, when we're with God in that unbroken, no darkness, we we gotta have, have new eyes. And see, that's why when Jesus said, don't don't judge your brother. Don't judge, you know, well, I'm in and they're out. I'm saved and they're lost. I'm Republican, they're Democrat. I'm I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm the choke you, you you what are you doing? See that, that's why Jesus told the story. He said, "Don't judge your brother." That's what he said because it affects your vision. He says, "There you are staring at somebody that's got a splinter in their eye," and he says he uses the term, "You got a beam in yours," and the reason you can't see is the beam. It affects your seeing. Jesus told us two things. He said, "He said, uh, take heed how you see." And take heed how you hear. Because that matters. Seeing is everything. That's why when the woman come in, it was a prostitute. And he's at the house of the Pharisees, Simon. And she comes in and washes his feet and cries and, and worships him. And, and Simon sitting there in his heart said, if this man really was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. And so therefore he'd already judged her. That he was in, she's out. That, that he's righteous, she's filthy. And Jesus said, Perceived that thought and he looked at Simon. He said, Simon, he said, I have something to say to you. And Simon said, Say on. (laughs) I always think that's funny. Say on, Rabbi. So Jesus said, On. He pointed at this woman and he said these words. He said, Simon, do you see this woman? Because, see, the problem was Simon couldn't see because he got a beam in his eye. And he's worried about that splinter in her. Everybody got something that they're dealing with. Everybody. And he said, this, this, how you view is how you view. I told you, if you're sitting there and you're new to Grace Point, and you're looking at me and going, well, you're judging me. Now, I know you're all so sweet and you wouldn't do that, but they might be one person slipped in that might be doing that right now. And you're looking at me and going, I don't like that coat. Or I don't like the way he does hair. And I tell you, I can help you. There's a lot of good reasons to judge me. I don't like the way he talks. I don't like, he, you know, I don't like these little comments he makes. I don't I, I don't know if he's trying to be funny. Or, I mean, he sounds too liberal or maybe you're sitting there going, he sounds too conservative or he's too Protestant or he's not Protestant enough. Or, I thought he was Pentecostal. When's he going to speak in tongues? Uh, we, uh, or I don't, you know. And, and, and seriously, listen, if perhaps you're doing that right now, then how you do anything is how you do everything. And so the way you're looking at me and judging me right now, that's how you look at your spouse. That's why you got marriage trouble. And that's why your children don't like you. Because the way you do in me is how you do life. That's how you do them. And that's why you can't keep a job, because they keep firing your butt. Because that's how you look at your employers. And you judge, and you can't never find the place or the person or the... You, you see what I'm saying? And I don't mean that offensive. I'm just saying how you do anything is how you do everything. And Jesus said, you've you, you got to recognize this for what this is, and you've got to get that beam out of yeah? you. You've got to stop looking at people in that judgmental heart and trying to decide whether they're in or they're out or, or where they're going to heaven or they are not going to heaven or, or you, you got to stop but you got to say you got to quit all that well my group is smart and, or my affiliation is smart or whether the denomination's got it figured out and everybody else is wrong I was raised on that I thought all Catholic people was going to hell I was taught that I was sat in classes in my <coughs> Protestant church and was taught by teachers that they're the whore of Babylon the whole church, that's the church in Revelation, they said. And they're the horror of Babylon. And the priest or the pope, that's the Antichrist. We're just waiting for the right one to come along, and he's going to just morph into the Antichrist, and he's going to start giving them, you know. I mean, I was taught that, didactically, systematically taught that. How do you think I viewed the Catholic people? And I've told you this before, historically, and you may not like this. I mean, you shouldn't. And if you don't like it, it reveals something in you. We all come from Catholicism. Because in the third century, when the church embraced the term Catholic, the word Catholic means universal. You want to get in trouble today? Even hint that you're a universalist. What? They're universalists. You don't even know what that means. You don't even know what it means. I want to tell you something, this may shock you. God's universal, and God's a universalist, and God's cosmic. God's not a tribal God. He's not just a tribal God. I mean, people, well, why, why don't you want to go to Zonamiah to the jungle and preach to them people? Because they're children of God. That's what I should have said. Of course, I told you I went down there to make them a child of God. See, salvation is not a ticket to heaven. Salvation is not a thing. It's not a prayer It's not a baptism. Salvation is a person, and his name is Jesus. See, but I was raised on salvation as a transactional thing that we did. I said the prayer. I repeated the preacher. Preacher said, let's say the sinner's prayer. I mean, he's ever heard that. It doesn't make them demonic or diabolic. They're doing the best we know with what they need to do with, and I've been guilty of that for years because that's how I was trained. Well, bow your head, close your eyes, repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I need a Savior. And I'm sorry for all my sin. And I'm sorry for all my sin. And then confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. And then when we got through with that, we'd tell the church, Church, rejoice, because there's a new name written down in heaven. In the Lamb's Book of Life. God just took his pen, uh, <laughs> and he just wrote the name. And what's your name, son? My name is Fred uh, whatever. And then, well, God just wrote Fred whatever in his book of life. You in, brother. Y'all know I'm telling y'all the truth. And then Fred don't come to church about six weeks and throws a week drunk. And then we go, Fred done got erased. Fred out. Now Fred got to come back to the spring revival. And we got to get Fred to pray the prayer a second time. And we got to get Fred back in. And Fred keep going in and out. And, and it's just dizzy watching Fred. We had people in our church get saved six, eight, ten times. And we finally got the revelation in Pentecostal that the Baptist has had it right all the time. You get saved one. I mean, you just there ain't but one birth. <laughs> we don't see good. Jesus said, Do you see this woman? No. Because if you just saw that woman, it's like I told you last week, when I look across this congregation, and it don't have to be, when I look across even Walmart, and I don't even go to Walmart. If, I don't, if Once in a while, I might go. ain't I to you, don't be offended. I just don't care for it. I'd rather pay a dollar more and get it from a different store. You know what I'm saying? But when I look across here, I go, image of God, image of God, image of God, image of God. So, But when you look at anybody, we, 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 we uh, had not spent... Yep, afternoon yesterday with two of my two youngest grandchildren. And, and Austin was with us, my youngest son. We had a blast. Went to the fun factory. I, I do realize it's more fun for them than it is for us, though, so, but they, it's still called the fun factory, so you're expecting fun, right? You expect to spend some money on your credit card when you go in there. <laughs> uh, I'll I tell you who's really having fun, whoever owns that store, they're the ones that's having fun. But we went there and we played the games, did all that. And then, so then when we leave in there, they said, you know, poppy, we hungry. So we went to Five Guys. Got to go to Five Guys, get a burger and a, and a milkshake. And, but when I, we got in there and we got our stuff and sat down, were, and it was raining, uh, you know, yesterday. And, and, and you, there, was a, there was a guy. I, I, I assume, I assume, my assumption can be totally wrong, but I assume by the way he looked and the baggage that he had and the tatteredness of his clothes and, uh, and unkept, uh, that he was a homeless person, person traveling, or, or just, but he was just getting out of the, of the rain. And he was sitting there. And I would watch people watch him. And, and it made them nervous. and Nobody wanted to sit close to him. And I didn't say a word about it. I didn't comment to my son. I didn't comment to my grandchildren. One time the grandchildren was looking, and, and they were just kind of staring at him. And I said, guys, look at me. I said, y'all, y'all just eat your lunch now. Don't worry about that guy. He's okay. And, and, and I just kept sitting there because I was sitting here and I could, he was just sitting there. But looking at him, I'm, and this doesn't make me nothing. I'm trying to, I, I'm just trying to, to, to live what I'm saying. I saw image of God. And I just wonder how many hurts, what, what in the world's got this guy living like this? And there's part of me, I just want to go put my arms around him. But then a part of me, is, I'm just being on, I'm scared he might want to stab me. <laughs> don't touch me. <laughs> I don't know. But my heart went out to that guy. But I don't see that guy as a piece of trash. I see him as image of God. And he just don't know it, maybe. Just like what Joanna was saying. He doesn't know he's a child of God already. He needs what happened to Paul. He needs that great light to reveal Christ in him. And, and and so we, we we don't see. The thing that's caught my attention through all this. Either God cares for everything He created, which includes you. Or God doesn't care for everything, and then God chooses and doles out His love to things arbitrarily, or however He, whatever system He's using. That is frightening, scary. Because if if you can't trust in a God who cares for and loves everything he created, even the cosmos, then how can you be sure he loves and cares for you? And what makes you think you're in the lucky few or lucky ones? And then we go back to the scripture. There's a dude named Job that really got it wrong as far as the nature and the essence and the love of God. And we have to be merciful because we've all done the same thing. And I believe that's one of the reasons that we have so much of what Job said recorded so because we're still saying those same things. For example, we say, and a lot of the church in America particularly, they believe this and they quote this as if it's divine. They say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. They quote that a lot at funerals. Gravesides, in other places where there's been tragedy or loss, uh, I used to think it was divine because it's in the book. It is divine in the sense that God wants us to read that, but it's not divine because that's not true about God. That God—that's not God's nature. God does not give and then take away, because I don't know if you've you know thought about that. But if the Lord gives and then He turns around and takes away, then He's a thief. And so God doesn't give babies and then turn around and take them away and have a, you know, an 18-month-old funeral because the Lord needed a flower in the bouquet table of heaven and such stuff like that that's said over graves and cemeteries and funerals. And I've been doing this for 40-something years now, so I've, I've, had, to, I've had to sit on the platform and follow that kind of a guy. And it makes those parents, some of whom I've pastored, hate God. He doesn't endure them to him. They say, God took my child. Well, only two people I know of in Scripture that says the Lord took, both of them left here alive. Moses and Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and the Lord took him, for he was not. No funeral needed. (laughs) Come on, somebody. But see, we get all this mess circulated up in our our thoughts, and it's the wrong view. And, And so... So when Job got thus really wrong, and Job said of his own self, thank God he finally, because in, in chapter 38, God does say, starting in verse 1, God says, now you come here, and then God really just says to him, it's time for you to man up. You read it. God says, I want you to act like a man. He says that to him. And I want you to listen to me, and you're going to answer me. is ain't it what he says? And, and God starts off, says, when I laid the foundation of the cosmos, where was you? And God says, when I measured off the foundation of the, of the universe, he said, uh, surely you know what, what those measurements are. God says, surely you know. Because see, some people act like they know everything. And they act like they got it. And God says, you're not me. And God's loving him. And that's why God's taking the time to talk to him. And then God starts talking to him. And this is the part that nobody ever taught me. God starts talking to him about all kind of animals. God. He even says it's a, it's a cool verse, and, and, and he says in in uh, in Job uh, thirty-eight and forty-one. This is God talking now to to Job, and he's trying to help him get a grasp on what he don't know. He said, "Who provides food for the raven when it when its young ones cry to God and wonder about for lack of food?" God says, "Who who who hears that cry and who feeds them?" Now here's God talking to Job about a bird, a raven. And then he carries that over into the New Testament through Jesus. And Jesus looks at people and he says in Luke 12 and 6, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins. But I want to say to you, not one of them is forgotten before God. So God is sitting there saying, why is God talking to us about his creation in animals? And I'm talking about animals that's really low on the value scale. And God says not one sparrow falls from a tree to the earth without the Father's knowledge of it and care. And then, he, and then again in, in Luke 12, 24, Jesus says, he says, consider the ravens. I'm trying to do what Jesus did. I'm asking you to consider things and look at things that are sacred that nobody ever told us was sacred. Now, either God loves everything or maybe God don't love anything. He says, consider the ravens. In other words, think about birds, ravens. For they neither sow nor reap. They don't have storehouses or barns, but yet God feeds them. God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? God's there, God's, he's, saying they're, he's not saying they're not valuable. They don't amount to nothing. God says, I hear their cry. I hear the little young ravens cry, and I feed them. Because I created them and I care for them and I care for all the creation. And, and, and God says when he made the birds, he said, Th- that's good. But when he made you, he said, very good. Because a bird is not made in the, in, the, in the image of God in the way that we're made in the image of God. But it does not mean that bird doesn't reflect the divine mystery of who and how and what God is. And then God doesn't leave it at birds. And in that verse 28, Luke 12, he says, if God so clothes the grass. Now he's talking to us about grass. Grass. You should get a revelation of God every time you have to mow your lawn. God says, if God so clothes the grass, which today is, and tomorrow is strong enough, and how much more would it clothe you? Oh, oh you of little faith. In verse 27 uh, of that same Luke 12, he says, consider the lilies. Let's look at a flower. Just go outside and look at a flower and see God. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, he was not arrayed like one of these. Now God's saying, I want you to think about a sparrow. I want you to say about a raven. Now Job, he run him through the, the discovery channel. You read chapter 38 and 39, he runs him through the whole Discovery Channel. He talks to him about donkeys and eagles' wings and peacocks and rabbits. And all. he talks to him, he runs him through the gamut. And Job is just sitting there, and God said, do you know when the deer's going to give birth? Do you know? And he just, rolls him, he just rolls him through all of creation. Why? Why is Jesus talking to us about grass in the field, lily flowers, sparrows? Why? Because he's trying to say God cares for everything. And he's hoping the revelation to hit you. That if God cares and feeds, even a sparrow falls from the tree. And he cares about that. And he loves that created being. And he sees it as sacred. Because he made it. And maybe he does care for me. And maybe I'm going to come through this time. This lean time. or Whatever you're going through. God don't dole out love and care for this group or that group or this person or that person or this race or that race or God God doesn't do that. He he, he sends rain on the just and the unjust. God knows that they're living unjustly but he still sends the rain and blesses them because that's who he is. It's not arbitrary. God doesn't do it just at whims. God loves what he's made and until you see that And and, and so there's all these early church fathers, and I've read many of them in these last few years. It's had a profound impact and effect on my theology. I want to see what the early church fathers, those people that actually listened to John, the disciple, John of the cross, I I want to see what what they believed. See, John, in in 1 John chapter 2, now, you understand, this is the guy, and everybody we see in Scripture, they're, they're going through progressive revelation of God and who he is and how he is. You know, this, now, now we refer back to John and we say, that's the, 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 you know, the beloved disciple, beloved disciple. Oh, he loved so much. He had a great revelation. He's the one that taught us about love. Yeah, he's also the guy who wanted to burn a city down. Don't forget that part, because I want you to see hope in that. Because they go into a city to try to preach, you know, have Jesus come and minister, and, and the city refuses and so John is standing there with a couple of other disciples and Jesus shows up with the rest of them and John said, they don't want you to come. Shall we call down fire like Elijah didn't burn this place to the ground? That'll show up. See, that's why people love their little teachings on punishment and because vind- there's people that they perceive that they want to go to hell that they want God to get. But they never imagine it being their own child or their own spouse, or their own father, or their own mother, or their own family. They always see it as out there somewhere, and that's how they deal with it. The church come up with this crazy doctrine, and and here comes John Calvin along, and he comes up and says now, he says, man, and this is his teaching, and most every church and every theology institution in America grabbed hold of this and made it part of their theological teaching and expression of God, and they said total depravity. And you were taught it. We were taught it that man is totally listen to that phrase, totally depraved. That's your found. That's your launching point. Nobody told you you were totally good. They told you you're a piece of dirt, and you're a sinner, and God can't stand to look at you. And you're enmity with God, and and you're a stinking rotten sinner. And God's gonna send His nice son, and He's gonna try to convince me to not to kill you. But I gotta kill somebody. Well, somebody got paid, Because we see him as the godfather. And so I'll kill my own son if he's willing to take the bullet. I'm finna to kill somebody. And that's your view of God. How do you worship a god like that? No wonder there's empty chairs. You know all these young people? That's why you don't see them. Because of the theology and the doctrine that we've had in America. And I read, told you two weeks ago, that it said, by the, if things stay on the current trend, this is statistics now, I pray to God they're wrong. But if they stay on the current trend, by the year 2050, there will be zero people in any Protestant church in America. The largest group of believers in the world, 1.6 billion, is Catholics. The second largest group of people, a classification of people in the world, are people that used to be Catholics. The third classification of people in the world are Protestants, at about 800, 900 million. And it's dropping like a rock every year. And when you look around in the average church, the absence of any youth is your proof before your eyes that the statistic is true. They are leaving by the droves because they, are, they don't want to hear this punitive, vile, vindictive, retributive God that we have been trying to shove on people for centuries and they know in their heart it's not right. John wrote in 1 John 2, he said, beloved, I don't write these things to you because you do not know the truth. But I write these things to you because you know the truth. What, what, what did he just say? What he's talking about is the inward knowing. And every one of you, before you ever heard church, Bible, kumbaya, anything else, you knew the truth. Because you were a child of truth. See, we've got to stop asking, well, who said that? Now, did Brother Dale say that? Or where did that come from? Now, who, who, who said it? What church does it come from? Did it come from, uh, you know, a certain publisher? Did it come from my denomination? Who said it? Uh, do you understand how wrong? I don't know if you follow me. It don't matter who said it. All that matters is, it, was it, is it true? Okay, let's forget who said it and what camp they come from or what you think they believe or don't believe, but whoever said it, it's going to stretch you. I don't care if Buddha said it. You know know what I'm saying. But if it's true, then let me tell you who really said it. Holy Spirit. For He is the Spirit of truth. And He shall lead and guide you into all truth. And if, it don't matter who said it, but if it's true. See, if I post something on Facebook, some people ain't going to hit like because I said it. Or they think I said it. I could just be quoting somebody for all you know. But if I put Jesus said it. You see what I'm saying? This is, the, this is, this is where the world's got. And man, we, we got a ways to go. So now it's helped me, and I hate that I had to get so older to start getting this. But I've, I've, I have a love now for more things. And, and, and even some of the early church fathers, you know, people tell like, well, I love the Lord, Brother Dale. I mean, when I was in church, we always started our service like that when I was raised. I don't know if we ever have a service like that. They'd always ask two things in there. How many of you love God today? Raise your hand. And then they say, you know, uh, how many of you feel the presence of the Lord? That was the second one. How many of you feel God in here? And, and we, you know, it got where we had people that they wouldn't raise their hand because they weren't liars. They didn't feel God. But they felt bad. And you're going to run them people off because they go, well, I don't feel God, so I ain't coming back. They, all these people feel God. No, they're a bunch of liars, and they ain't feeling God either. Sometimes you're feeling air conditioning. That was your goose bump. It was the air cutting. Come on now. And we feel God, and I thank God for that. And a lot of times if I feel manifest manifested presence, I'll say I really feel the Lord because I'm trying to teach you that what you're feeling because I know if I'm feeling him up here, you're feeling him back there. And I'm trying to help you to know that's God's manifested presence. I, what does it mean? It could be something very significant in that moment. It could be something that was just said, but, it, I, but I want you to recognize that. Because if that happens to you standing in line at Walmart, I want you to, you know, I want you to just alert up. There might be something going on there of great significance. And, and so, so I want you to see that, that, that all, all, it matters how you view everything, how you view the world. Now, that's why that same disciple John got over in the third chapter, and he said this. He said, listen to me. Anybody that tells you that they love God, that they cannot see, and do not love their brother, That they can see is a liar. The Bible is clear that if you can't love what you can see, don't deceive yourself in thinking you can love what you can't see. But you cannot, you you, you, you can't. It's all connected. So we, we, we see this in the Scripture. The early church fathers, I forget which one, uh, Bonaventure, I think, was his name, but he said, he, he, trying, in the third century uh, 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 father of the church, he, he said this, you know, people would say, well, I, you know, I want to love God with all my heart. This is what he said. I read his, he said, why well, don't you, like, you try to love a rock first? Start with a rock. Can you love a rock? Now, that may sound stupid, weird, and even hedonistic to you, but hang with me just a second. So when you look at a rock, I mean, can you love a rock? Y'all remember when they had them pet rocks? and they, <laughs> Anybody else remember? I mean, pet rocks. And people buying them things like crazy. Man, I wish I'd have got in on that. I had some rocks in the yard I could have sold. I remember I was out here at the John Deere place one day back when I used to have a farm. 15 years ago and had a, tractor, had a John Deere tractor. Man, people love that green and yellow. You know what I'm talking about? And some people. And, and, and so <laughs> I remember going into the John Deere place out uh, here on North Wallace Road where they had at a time, and they had a rock by that big painted green and white John Deere colors, you know. And it had a little sign in front of it for sale and it said $5. And uh, I thought, man, they got everything in here. And I asked the guy behind the counter, and I said, y'all, y'all really selling that? He said, Oh yeah. He said, You want to buy it? And, and he said, we got a pool of money in the back, all those guys, and we betting on how long it's going to be on there before somebody pays that. He said, because you paint anything green and yellow right here, these people to buy it. They love some green and yellow. And them guys had a bet going in a pool in the shop, who's going to pay $5 for that rock that they had. Because so then that guy told me, he said, if we sell that, and we're going to paint a bigger rock and sell it for 10. We're coming back with another one. But what I'm trying to say to you, can you see that God made the cosmos, creation? And if you can't love what you can see, and God and and uh, Bonaventure said, love a rock, and then he said, when you when you sufficiently have loved the rock, come back to me. So he, you know, he he tried to, you know, I love the rock, and I can see, you know, God's creative order and blessing, and he comes back, and this may sound stupid, he said, so now how about loving the grass? And shrubs and trees because well, that's what Jesus said consider the grass consider the lily and then he told him he brought him in said, well, I think I love I love that and I can see you know God's created order and, and the divine imprint on that and the, of the mystery you know and he said now you know uh, love an animal a bird a horse a donkey Jesus talked about loving donkeys remember that when the prophet can't see See, it's always people that can't see. And the prophet, ba- you know, it's on the Balaam the prophet, and he's going to curse, speak cursing against Israel, the nation. And he's going through a narrow place, remember, and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord. And I told you that's why the, the, these animals, that's why I saw something that just gripped my heart two weeks ago on Facebook, and it showed a long corridor, and people, each person was standing in front of a hospital room with an animal, with a dog. And they were waiting on everybody to, you know, clear for them to go in. And I couldn't remember if it was a military hospital or civilian hospital, but it just caught my attention. And I saw just as long, like from here to that wall with nothing, but each person standing there, a caregiver, and they're going to go into that hospital room where a sick person lays or an injured person and with an animal. And it's going to be medicinal to them. Why? And I'm not saying that we go in there and we're going to worship a dog and that's God gone. Uh, But in that animal that God created, when that dog looks at a person, this is why people love them so good. When you come home from work, unlike your spouse maybe, (laughs) I'm not trying to start nothing, they might not be as happy to see you as your animal is. But that dog is happy to see you. And when that dog looks at you with them little old dark eyes, there's no judgment in those eyes. They're not like where you've been. Why you didn't fill up my bowl for you? You know, you don't get none of that. Why didn't you pick your drawers up out the floor before you left with, with Rick this morning? You don't, you don't get none of that. All you get is just loved on. Just get loved on. No judgment, and you can look in their eyes and you know that dog ain't judging me. It don't matter if I got clothes on, not got clothes. I mean your dog be in the bathroom with you and you you're just sitting there, dog gets sitting there. Your spouse won't do that when you're in the bathroom. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so you don't get this at every church. This is special preaching. I'm trying to get you to see. That's why they have these horses, they, people that's going through her. Because that horse, even though you're not getting judgment, that's why people love them so good. And you know when the people really love them traditionally is when you get older. That's when, you know, or if they get along by themselves. I told you my own mom said a little Romeo to a little dog. You know, uh, you know, she said, I don't know what I'd have done, son, if I didn't have Romeo when your daddy died. because she had somebody that loved her unconditionally, constantly, ferociously. And that's why when that dog left here, it broke her heart. But you know, when, when Mama took that dog, and I've had the unfortunate pleasure I and mean, not pleasure at all of doing that, and we call it putting him to sleep because we're trying to deal with the wording but when Romeo got put to sleep, or I had an animal one time, I had to do that. And one thing that caught me, this may sound so weird to you, every human I've ever been, I was a paramedic for 20 years, and I saw a lot of people die in my presence, breathe their last. And they, most of them, I can almost say 99% of them were terrified as death approached. I had one man that wasn't. He was happy and talked to angels that I could not see and breathed his last in the back of my ambulance. There was a Catholic boy in the back there with me named Bob Rowe. It forever changed him that moment. When we got to the merch room, he said, man, I felt every hair on my body stand at attention when that guy died. You know. And I just told Bob, that's God. Come got him. We had called that guy numerous times, had a lot of lung problems, only had one lung. And when we put him in the back of the ambulance, his wife was standing there on the dirt at his house. He said, can I speak to her just a moment before y'all close them doors? In his nowhere, he knew this was it. She climbed up in the back of that. He put his arms around her, kissed her, and said, I love you, woman. And he spoke some intimate things to her. We closed the door. Left his house. We didn't get a mile down the road, and he starts talking to the ceiling. One-sided conversation, full of joy, full of a smile, and it's so weird to non-spiritual. And I looked over at Bob because we had called two units because we thought we to work a code, and he breathed his last. He was gone. Nothing we could do. When I got to the merch room, I pulled his wife into another room, and I said, I, I just want to say this to you, what we witnessed a few moments ago when your husband left here. And I told her the words that he was saying, and what he was saying. It brought a lot of comfort to her. She had such peace. She hugged us said, listen, he loved God with all his heart, and God loved him, son. He's at peace and with the Lord now. I'm not worried. It was such a wonderful thing. But most people I saw, they struggled with it. Because we, we don't think that death is part of life. In American church, we have separated death from life. Therefore, we try to live our lives as if we're not ever going to die. But the trees know they're going to die. All creation, and Jesus modeled death for us. He did. He modeled it. And he said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But in, in, in most mystic cultures, they have death and life all wrapped up in one because it's part of the deal. But we in American church have just kicked it to the curb, don't even believe it no more, and we fight it with every tooth and toenail we can. But I noticed when I put a dog to sleep one time, and I stayed there in the doctor's office, and when he got ready to do that, and that dog was terminal, looked at me, though, and the dog just literally just bowed his head and submitted to it. No struggle, no fight. And I, I left there going, that dog wasn't afraid of dying. That dog wasn't afraid. What we don't understand, guys, is, is all of God's creation, everything that he has made, when you start viewing it as part of the cosmic creation order, and that's why Jesus said, consider the lilies, consider the grass, consider the sparrow, consider the raven. That's why he did all of that. Because he's trying to communicate to us, little puny humans, that if I feed the ravens, if I care for the sparrows, if I see everyone that drops from a tree to the ground, then I care and love you. Because you're created in a higher order, really. You're, you're, you're even a higher order than my angels. Because you don't you know, Paul told them, that you will sit one day and judge angels. Because you're made in the image and likeness of God. Does God look like me? No, but I reflect at least part of Him. And you do too. God loves you. God cares for you. And when you can live your life out of that, I'm not a piece of dirt and a piece of trash and a piece of whatever it is that I, that God, but because the original goodness precedes original sin. It actually starts in chapter one. The Bible don't start in chapter three. And if it starts in three, then all that does with Jesus is we don't need his life. All we need him to do is climb up on the cross and die. And it makes his life useless and pointless. We don't need all the chapters in the Bible about him growing up and him doing this. And him, All we need is just a couple of chapters about crucifixion, death, and resurrection. And then we good. And it makes Jesus a mop-up boy, a rescue ranger. And it greatly reduces and shrinks the Christ. And we've got to go back to the divine order of God. God's original goodness and purpose for you and for us and for life and for the cosmos and everything that he's made. And as I've gotten older, i got a great appreciation for everything now. I really do. And I see things. I'm not out hugging a tree and, and worshiping a tree, but I think a tree's a wonderful thing. And I think animals are wonderful. Maybe that's why I like all them channels sometimes. You know, you know all these animals. You, you see, you know, because I, I, you, you, it's, just, it's just it's God. And I hope you see that today. And I hope you know your dignity, worth, and value in Him. Because he's the one that's created you. And you live from that original goodness. And that gives you the strength to overcome even the paradoxes and the things that don't necessarily look just like, like you want it to yet. But it gives you the power from that position to go forward with your life and live this life out like God intends through his power, strength, and purpose. Would you stand with me, please? Can somebody say amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for doing what you did to Job, helping him, what you're doing for us, helping us, to say consider the ravens, consider the lilies, consider the grass, of the field, consider the cosmos, the creation, all that you made, and that you care for that because you created it. And you don't arbitrarily dole out care and concern and love for just a select few, but you love this world so much that you gave Jesus. You love the cosmos. I pray that revelation will forever change how we view, not only you, but how we view ourselves. That we do love a rock and we love an animal. And then maybe we can work up to loving a human that we can see. And when we see a human, we can see image of God, image of God. And when we've sufficiently loved what we can see, and we can love a homeless person person sitting in a burger store, Five Guys, and see the image of God, then and only then, maybe, Papa, we can start loving you whom we cannot see. Help us to love you by loving all that you've made and seeing you in all of creation, and seeing every man, woman, boy, and girl as a reflection of your image. And help us to be empowered by your Spirit to awaken that truth in them. And even as John said, it's not because they don't know the truth, it's because they know it that we write these things to you. And let that inward knowing come to awakening life like it did in the Apostle Paul. And let him see Christ in him. That's the hope of glory. I pray that for this world, for this church, for this congregation, for this people. I pray it for all of us in the most humble name of a father who sent his son born in a manger to the august almighty God who created all the cosmos that we see and can't see. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. God bless you. I'll be down here if you want prayer for any reason. Love you. God bless you.